morning. I think we're going to have a video here if you turn your attention to the screens. studying the book of Jonah in the big church and I was asked to ask you wise boys and girls what you knew about Jonah so Sullivan how old are you 10 10 mm -hmm. so you're pretty up there what is what is something that you know about Jonah he's a prophet he was a prophet Jane what's something that you know about Jonah and how old are you Jane four four I watched it in before, and he went. He got eaten by a whale. He did. That's right. That's right. Malie and Addison. Addison, how old are you? Six and a half. Six and a half. And Emily, how old are you? Four. Four. Good. Have you heard the story of Jonah and the whale? Emily, what do you know about Jonah and the whale? Um, he got thrown off of a boat. Okay, he got thrown off a boat. What did Jonah say? Yeah, what did Jonah tell God? No. He told him no. So he said no, and then what did he do? He ran away. He ran away. So Hendrick, how old are you? Eight. Eight. And Killian, how old are you? Nine. Nine. So have you both heard the story of Jonah and the whale? Yeah. Yes. Killian, what was happening in Nineveh? Um, that the people were disobeying God and sinning. He rolled on, he went on a boat. He went on a boat. And, and went, um, well, the, it was, Nineveh was this way, and he went that way. And I'm pretty sure he went with other people. Okay, he was on a boat with other people. Did he tell the other people that he was running from God? No, I don't think so. God made a really, it, a really, like, bad storm, and the mm -hmm. waves were, like, going up super high. Kind of like a, um, it's like a certain storm that happens in the Flood? Like a hurricane? No, it's a tsunami? tsunami. Jonah, he got uh, eaten by a whale and uh, he and got. He stayed in there for, I think, three days. I love it. I love it. Well, you're probably wondering why there's a tetherball pole up here. Well, I grew up in a big city, about six million people. And we were in a valley about 10 miles wide, 15 miles long. So think about that many people in that little bit of a space. And so I lived in an apartment on the 11th floor as a little kid. And as a kid, there wasn't a lot of room to run and play. So I think someone in a city invented a game that could be controlled, right, in a small space. So I played a lot of tetherball growing up. <laughs> but what happens if we take off the tetherball. And, uh, you know, what's nice about tetherball is it can be contained, it can be controlled, you can kind of determine where it's going to be played, the rules, but when you take off the ball, all of a sudden there's a lot of new possibilities. And I think as human beings, we're, we're really good at trying to figure out how to contain, control, kind of make things go the way we want them to go, right? We're, we're, we've we put a lot of our energy and effort to that. If you read books or go on the internet, there's a lot about self-improvement, about trying to control your environment, trying to make a better you or a better world around you. And so in a lot of ways, 
Uh, it's kind of like tetherball. We're trying to make things happen our way. Well, grace is a word that we talk a lot about here at Rimrock, but unfortunately, even in, in Christianity, sometimes we want grace on our terms, right? And so a lot of times we talk about grace, but when we think about grace, we kind of think about it how it is good for us or think about in ways that we can maybe control. But this morning, we're going to kick off a new series in the Bible about a prophet named Jonah. <laughs> and we've titled this Grace Untethered. And this story, I think, reveals a picture of the big story of the Bible, which is a story ultimately about God. And God cannot be contained, cannot be controlled. He's so much bigger, so much wilder, so much better. He's good beyond our imagination. His love is beyond description. And we're going to see who God is in the book of Jonah. So there's three things. We're going to be in Jonah for the next five weeks. But, and there's going to be different preachers up here sharing. But there's three things that are going to be consistent as we go through the book of Jonah. It's a story about God. And Jonah reveals a God who is gracious and compassionate, slow to anger and abounding in love, a God who relents from sending calamity. That's important. Jonah's a story about God, and not just any God, a God who is gracious and compassionate, slow to anger and abounding in love. Aren't you thankful <laughs> that the word of God reveals this kind of God? Two, we're going to see a God who is gracious in his pursuit of lost people. A God who is gracious in his pursuit of lost people. And third, we're going to see a God who is gracious in his pursuit of his people. So Jonah is, I'm going to um, talk about Jonah from two vantage points. One, it's history. It's a historic story, meaning this talks about a real guy. Jonah really lived. He was really a prophet in Israel. In fact, you can go to 2 Kings chapter 14 and you can read about Jonah because he uh, lived in the reign of Jeroboam II, who was a king in northern Israel. And Jonah was a really successful prophet because he said to uh, Israel, his message was God is going to expand the boundaries. The territory is going to expand. And sure enough, it did. In fact, in the reign of Jeroboam II, it was the, the furthest uh, expansion of Israel's territory. They had more peace, more prosperity than almost any other time besides the time of Solomon. And so it was a time of great prosperity and great blessing. And, and Jonah was a popular prophet. <laughs> he was a popular preacher. And we're told um, that Jonah was a big part of, of that expansion. So it's history because Nineveh is a real place, Jonah is a real prophet, but it's also a parable, meaning it's a story, it's a narrative that reveals profound truths about God and about us. I think parables are, are beautiful ways that God reveals truth to us. And if you think about the life of Jesus, what did he tell? A lot of parables. A lot of stories and I'm convinced Jonah was probably one of Jesus's favorite stories from the Old Testament and why do I say that well he referenced it 
several times. In fact, several of Jesus' parables, probably the, the foremost one of the father with the two sons, the, what we call the prodigal son, is really a story that mirrors Jonah's story. It's a story that parallels the same truths that we find in Jonah. And later, Jesus would say, when the Pharisees were confronting him, and he said, and they were asking for a sign, and he looked at them and he said, the only sign I'm going to give you is the sign of Jonah. <laughs> and so Jesus referred to Jonah as a, as a prototype of his ministry, of his life, ultimately his death and his resurrection. And so Jonah is a, is a beautiful story. It's a parable rooted in, a, in history. And as we go through this story, I'm so excited to see what God has for you and for me as we open our hearts towards this story. Now, I'm just going to ask you to remain seated, and you can follow on the screen, but, or you can just listen, or you can follow in your Bible or on your smartphone. That's okay. But I want you just to listen to this amazing story. We're going to start in chapter 1. The word of the Lord came to Jonah, son of Amittai. Go to the great city of Nineveh and preach against it, because its wickedness has come up before me. But Jonah ran away from the Lord and headed for Tarshish. He went down to Joppa, where he found a ship bound for that port. And after paying the fare, he went aboard and sailed for Tarshish to flee from the Lord. Then the Lord sent a great wind on the sea, and such a violent storm arose that the ship threatened to break up. All the sailors were afraid, and each cried out to his own God, and they threw the cargo into the sea to lighten the ship. But Jonah had gone below the deck, where he lay down and fell into a deep sleep. The captain went to get him and said, How can you sleep? Get up, call on your God. Maybe he will take notice of us so that we will not perish. Then the sailors said to each other, Come, let us cast lots to find out who is responsible for this calamity. And they cast lots, and the lot fell on Jonah. So they asked him, Tell us who is responsible for making all this trouble for us. What kind of work do you do? Where do you come from? What is your country? What people are you? And he answered, I am a Hebrew, and I worship the Lord, the God of heaven, who made the sea and the dry, ground, dry land. This terrified them, and they asked, what have you done? They knew he was running away from the Lord because he had already told them so. The sea was getting rougher and rougher, and they asked them, what should we do to make the sea calm down for us? And pick me up and throw me into the sea, he replied, and it will become calm. I know that it is my fault that this great storm has come upon you. Instead, the men did their best to row back to land, but they could not, for the sea grew even wilder than before. Then they cried out to the Lord, Please, Lord, do not let us die for taking this man's life. Do not hold us accountable for killing an innocent man, for you, Lord, have done as you pleased. Then they took Jonah and threw him overboard, and the raging sea grew calm. At this point, the men greatly feared the Lord, and they offered a sacrifice to the Lord and made vows to him. What a story. <laughs> so there's three threads that we're going to weave this morning as we start this story. I see God, and what is God doing? He is speaking grace. He is speaking grace. God is a speaking God, and we're going to see that theme woven throughout the story of Jonah. The second thing I see is Jonah. And what is Jonah doing? He is running 
from God. He's running away. And the third thread that I see woven through here is of the sailors. And what are the sailors doing? They believe what God says. So we have these three themes, God speaking, grace, Jonah running, and the sailors believing. And so we're going to see how these three threads weave together in this amazing story. And so God speaks. Let's not take that for granted. Don't take that for granted. God speaks. We, a lot of times, can go through life and we can think that God is far off, but the Bible reveals a God who is not far off, but very near, near to all of us. And so God comes to Jonah, and what does he speak? He says, go, go to the great city of Nineveh. Now, Jonah's used to hearing from God. <laughs> he's a prophet, and he's used to telling that message to others. But this was a message he did not expect. This is an untethered message for Jonah. And we ask ourselves, why does Jonah run? Well, interestingly enough, where Nineveh was located in Jonah's day is exactly where Iraq is today. And where Nineveh, the ruins are today, right now is under the control and the jurisdiction of a terrorist group called ISIS. Now, if God spoke to me and said, Ben, I want you to move to Iraq and preach to ISIS, <laughs> you think I would struggle with that? <laughs> that would be a hard message, a very difficult message. The Syrians were cruel, wicked people. But God said to Jonah, go. Now, notice the message isn't a pleasant message because God is saying, I don't like what these people are doing. And Jonah would have totally agreed with God that these people were not doing what God wanted them to do. But here's the issue. Jonah knows God. He knows God. And what does he know about God? That he is gracious, that he is compassionate, that he is slow to anger and rich in love. And this makes Jonah angry because he realizes if he's gonna go preach to Nineveh, there's a chance that God will save and he's not gonna have any of it. So he's running. But God is speaking to Jonah. Look with me at verse four, what, how God speaks to Jonah. He sends a wind, a wind. Now, this isn't the first time in the Bible where we're introduced to wind. In fact, wind is talked about at the very beginning of the scriptures in Genesis, where it says the earth was formless and void, but it says the Spirit of God, which in the Hebrew is the same word as wind, was hovering over the earth. And God, it says in Genesis, he took this formless void and he formed the earth and the stars and the moon and the sun and this universe and he formed ultimately us. And so wind is a sign or a symbol of the, the presence of God. And think with me into the future from Jonah where Jesus has come and he has uh, died on the cross and he has resurrected and ascended and he's told the disciples, go to Jerusalem and stay there because I'm gonna send you a gift, a gift that is gonna be the most precious gift that I can leave with you. And what is it? The very presence of God, the Spirit of God. And there in that room, and it says flames of fire came down, and then it says a great wind blew through that place. 
wind, the presence of God, the spirit of God. And a lot of times we think of wind and we see the destructive power of wind, but in the Bible when we see wind, it's referred to the presence of God, the power of God, but also the, the healing and the creative work of God. And wind, I think, is an important thing for us to think about because who can control the wind? Who can contain it? No one. Is not God beyond us? Isn't he beyond our control, beyond our containing? He is unfathomable, immeasurable. Our God is great. And so it's a wind that God sends. And he's speaking. <laughs> he's speaking to Jonah. He's pursuing Jonah. And this is all part of his grace. This is part of his grace. Think about your life. When has God sent wind in your life to speak to you, to me? And so God speaks to Jonah in a great wind. Now, look at the sailors. Look at the sailors. They are terrified. They're on the sea, and they're sailors who've probably been through a lot of storms, but this is a storm like any other storm, and so they're crying out to their gods. They're throwing stuff overboard, and they think they're done. I thought about this story in light of what Jesus did with his disciples because they were on a boat and they were going across the Sea of Galilee and it says a great wind rose up and the sea became rough and it became wild and in that storm it says Jesus was sleeping <laughs> and the disciples what were they doing they were terrified <laughs> they were just like these sailors and these sailors did they know God they did not they were terrified. The disciples knew Jesus, yet they were terrified. And what did Jesus say when he woke up? He said, oh, you of little faith. Now, isn't it interesting that as the wind is blowing, the storm is, is raging, what is Jonah doing? He's sleeping. Now, think about this with me. Is Jonah's sleep the same as Jesus' sleep? I don't think so. These are two very different sleeps. Sleep can mean two different things in the scripture. It can be a wonderful, beautiful thing, and I think that's what Jesus is modeling for us in the storm, was an absolute trust in the Father. There was confidence, there was peace, there was hope in the sleep of Jesus. Sleep can be restorative, it can be healing, and we see that in Jesus. What did Jesus say? He said, I hear the voice of my Father, and I do whatever he says. And so Jesus lived a life of perfect communion with God. He heard God's speaking. He heard God's word, and he obeyed. He responded. He, he offered himself to what God said. And what did that produce in Jesus? Perfect peace. <laughs> perfect trust. And what do we see in Jonah? In Jonah, I think we see a rebellious sleep. Sleep, I think, can be um, a rebellious thing and where, where it's almost like I'm gonna shut myself off in the world, I don't care. Martin Luther King Jr. said the worst kind of hatred is ambivalence, like to ignore, to not care. And I think that's what we see in Jonah because as God is speaking this great storm, this great wind, the sailors are desperate and Jonah could care less. He's just gonna sleep it away. He's gonna try to escape. And so the sleep of Jesus, trust, rest, 
Obedience, the sleep of Jonah, ambivalence, doesn't care, trying to escape. But what about the sailors? How are they responding? Because God is speaking to them as they cast lots. They're trying to figure out, this is not a normal storm. There's something going on here that's, that's beyond what's, what we've seen before. We think, there, we think there's someone trying to get our attention here. And so they're casting lots to try to figure it out. And how does God speak? He tells them, it's Jonah. <laughs> it's Jonah. And so they go to Jonah and they interrogate him and say, what's going on? What's wrong with you? What, where are you from? What's going on? And then Jonah has the classic satire answer here and the sailors cannot believe it because Jonah says, I'm a Hebrew and I worship the Lord who is the maker of the sea. And the sailors are listening to this saying, did you just hear what I heard? <laughs> this guy believes and follows the God who makes the sea and he thinks he can run away and he can, he's gonna try to do that on the ocean? What's he thinking? <laughs> the sailors believe. Jonah is an effective preacher. <laughs> he preaches and they're, they're all in. They say, this guy is following the true God and he's running away. But what are we? We're terrified because we realize this is the God who made the sea and the land and everything. And so they say, what do we do? And Jonah says, throw me in the sea. I think that wasn't an unselfish act. I think Jonah had pretty much come to the point where he was more willing to die than to obey God. That's a difficult place to be. But here's what I want you to be reminded of this morning. Even though Jonah was in that place of depression, trying to escape, running from God, saying no to God, God did not give up on Jonah. God loved Jonah. He wasn't going to let him get away that easy. God wasn't going to let him get away. And here's what's encouraging for you and I. God's not going to let you get away. He's not gonna let me get away. He's not that kind of God. He pursues us, he loves us. God's grace is wonderful. It's wild, it's beyond containing, it's beyond our imagination, but it's good. It's so good. I like what Hebrews 12 says, have you forgotten that exhortation that addresses you as sons and daughters? Don't forget this. My son, do not regard lightly the discipline of the Lord, nor be weary when reproved by him, for the Lord disciplines the one he loves and chastises every son whom he receives. For it is discipline that you have to endure. God is treating you as sons and daughters. For what son is there whom his father does not discipline? I have a good friend who uh, told me this story that growing up he uh, was so frustrated because his best friend when he was a kid uh, grew up in a home where his parents didn't give him any restrictions, didn't have any rules, and he could do whatever he wanted. And he, my friend, grew up in a home where there were lots of rules and he would get in big trouble if he broke them. And so he, he was really, um, didn't like that and thought it wasn't fair that his friend got to do whatever he wanted. And it wasn't until he got older and, and after I met him, we became good friends and, and partnered in ministry in a lot of ways that he said, um, I realized now that my parents loved me and they loved me enough 
to discipline me, to put restrictions on me, to correct me. Because he said, my friend who grew up with no rules today is a mess. <laughs> his life is in shambles. There's brokenness. And he realized that his parents loved him, but his friend's parents did not love him the way they should have. That's profound. And so God in his love cares enough about you, cares enough about me, and, and cares enough about Jonah to bring discipline, to bring correction. That is the love of God. Now, we must realize that not all hardship, not all suffering is discipline in our lives. <laughs> they're, they're, we live in a broken world, but as children of God, we can be aware that sometimes God is speaking to us and he's trying to get our attention. Have you been there? I've been there. <laughs> I've been disciplined by God. And it's his love. I love what Job says. He crushes, but he also binds up. He strikes, but his hands also heal. Hold on to that. God ultimately wants to heal. He op ultimately wants your good. But he's willing to inflict a little pain to get our attention. And so Jonah is running. He's sleeping. And then he's sinking. <laughs> he's sinking into the waves into the sea. But I want to end here because look at the sailors. The sailors are a surprise because they believe that God made the sea. They believe that God is speaking. And then they believe that God is gracious. How do we know that? Because Jonah had given up, but the men, the sailors, did not give up. Verse 13, instead, what did they do? They rowed the boat. They said, you know what, we're willing we're even willing to risk our own lives so that we can spare the life of this prophet who doesn't even care about us. <laughs> we're willing to do the extra work to try to save him. And we're gonna row our, and we're gonna do our best to get out of this storm. You see, the sailors were reflecting God's grace towards Jonah. <laughs> Isn't that amazing? These pagans, these guys who didn't have any idea who God was, heard one simple message for Jonah and they believed and they feared, and they were willing to be gracious towards Jonah. What an amazing thing. But they couldn't do it. They couldn't get out of the storm. They realized that they had to throw him over. But they did it asking God for mercy, for grace, realizing how serious of an act this was to throw him over the sea. But then what did the men do? It says the sea grew calm. And I think back to that story with Jesus in the boat with the disciples, the raging sea, and, and as they're terrified, Jesus is looking at them and saying, don't you believe? Don't you trust that God is good, <laughs> that he's gonna care for us even in the storm, even in the wind? And what did Jesus say? Be calm, be still, and the waves calm down. That is power. We serve a God of great power a God who we cannot escape from, a God we cannot control, a God who is beyond us and above us, and as the sailors realize, a God who is worthy of our worship. He is worthy. And so as God speaks, as he speaks to you, as he speaks to me, and I believe he's always speaking. God is not far off. He's always pursuing your heart, my heart, the heart of every person who's alive. God is speaking. But the question <laughs> that Jonah poses for us is, are we listening? Are we listening? 
I think of what uh, Keith Green wrote a song long ago, and this was before my time, but I've, I've heard it. He wrote a, a song about asleep in the light. And so many of us, like Jonah, could be asleep, running, but God is speaking. How will we respond to his word? How will we respond to his call as children? How is God speaking you, to you today? I don't know, but you know how he's speaking to you. Is there wind in your life? Is there storms in your life that God is using to get your attention? How are you responding to God's grace in your life and in the life of those around you? And as the worship team comes up, I wanna read a, a prayer from the Puritans. This comes from the book of the Valley of Vision, but I think it captures so well the message of Jonah. Father, in a world of created, changeable things, Christ and his word alone remain unshaken. Oh, to forsake all creatures, to rest as a stone on him, the foundation to abide in him, to be borne up by him. For all my mercies come through Christ who has designed, purchased, promised, and affected them. Oh, how sweet it is to be near him, the lamb filled with holy affections. When I, when I sin against you, I, I cross your will and love and life and I have no comfort, no creature to go to. My sin is not so much as this or that particular evil, but my continual separation, disunion, distance from thee and having a loosed spirit towards thee, but thou hast given me a present, Jesus, thy son, as a mediator between myself and my soul, as a middleman who is in a pit, holds both him below and him beloved above, for only he can span that chasm breached by sin and satisfy divine justice. May I always lay hold upon this mediator as realized object of faith and alone worthy by his love to bridge the gulf. Let me know that he is dear to me by his word. I am one with him by the word that is on his part and by faith on mine. If I oppose the word, I oppose my Lord. When he is most near, if I receive the word, I receive my Lord. Where he is nigh, O thou who hast, ca who hast the hearts of all men in thy hand. Form in my heart, according to your word, according to the image of your son, so shall Christ, the word, and his word be my strength and comfort.